0: oh, probably six, seven or more months going through the book of Romans, but today we're going to wrap up the lesson. Chapter 16 is primarily just some closing comments from Paul. He gives some instructions, he gives some greetings, and so we're going to try and glean some things from it, uh, for you and I, that we can apply to our lives. He gives some warnings. So we're going to pay attention to some of the warnings that he gives Just make note of some of the greetings that he brings as well. Okay? So let's look. First of all, there's there's a commendation uh, in verses 1 to 2. I want you to see, first of all. He's going to commend to them a certain lady named Phoebe. Okay? Let's look here. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister. Something in ministry, and the apostle is saying, I want you guys to take care of it. So I think that's pretty significant. What happens is sometimes in our circle of churches, we have a tendency to say that women can't do anything in ministry. It's that's a guy's game. Well, you know, that's okay, but you gotta be careful because sometimes the very letters that we embrace tell us otherwise sometimes. And so here's a here's a lady who obviously Paul very much cares for, who's wanting to make sure that she's treated right. Did you understand? So let's look here. First of all, he asked them to warmly greet his messenger. Okay, notice he says his messenger, Phoebe, who is from the church in Greece. So it's like, I'm sending her to you. Okay, so I want you to treat her right. Then he asked them to take care of her in a manner worthy of Jesus. In a manner worthy of Jesus. Now, what do you think that means? We can read that. What do you think that means? A manner worthy of Jesus. Okay, res- treat her respectfully. Okay, that's good, Denny. Anybody else? What do you think that means? A manner worthy of Jesus. Yeah, like they would treat Jesus. Okay, uh, Rhonda said that. Reverend, okay. Anybody else? Now, have you ever been somewhere and uh it's almost like you're you uh you're like the redheaded stepchild as far as how people treat you. It's like they they have to accept you, but they're sure not going out of their way to take care of you. Have you ever been somewhere like that or with people like that? Do you do you know what I mean? It's almost like you're invisible. It's like we have to, we're tolerate. Yeah, he told us, but we're going to tolerate. So when he talks about treating her in a manner worthy of Jesus, he's actually, he's actually saying to them, they need to go the extra mile. Do you understand? To take care of her. They need to go the extra mile to take care of her. Okay? When we talk about in a manner worthy of Jesus, we're talking about going the extra mile here to make sure that her needs are met. Since she has helped others, They are to help her in whatever area of need she has help of. Paul's saying, look, this gal has helped other people in service to Christ. So whatever she needs in order to do what she needs to do, you help her do it. Okay? You take care of her. You help her do it. All right? Now, Let me just real quick before we go into the greetings. I want you to understand something about the early church. We, we kind of don't understand it, but it's very true. In some areas of the world today, it's still true. In the young church, they had traveling ministers. We call them missionaries, or they would call them also evangelists. When we think of an evangelist, we think of somebody who holds a crusade, at a church and revival meetings or a crusade in a, in a stadium like Billy Graham and people go to. When they talk about evangelists in the early church, they're not talking about having crusades. We're talking about somebody whose primary task is to go and establish churches. Preach the gospel, see people get saved, establish churches. That's still happening today. They're, in China, that's happening. Okay, And so what happens is, is that there are traveling ministers, and when they go around, The first place that they are expected to receive help from is if they enter into a community. If there's a church there, they're to go to that church and to receive help from that church. That's how it was back then. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Like in Kerwinsville, we have about nine or ten churches in Kerwinsville, okay? That's just a wild number of churches for a small town, okay? Nine or ten churches in Kerwinsville. When we talk about back in Paul's day, there might be one church in the entire city. Do you you understand what I'm saying? One church in the entire area. So when a traveling minister would come, he would naturally gravitate to where that church was, and it was the responsibility of the church and what they were taught. And this is what Paul's doing here in the case of Phoebe, is he's teaching them, you're to take care of them and help them to do whatever they're supposed to do. You understand what I'm saying? You're to take care of them and help them to do whatever they're supposed to do. In fact, just a side note, the letter, 3rd John, how many of you have read 3rd John? It's only about 13 verses. One of the interesting things about 3rd John is the apostle is writing that letter because he wants to deal with a guy by the name of Diotrephes. And the reason why he wants to deal with Diotrephes, Diotrephes is one of these dictator guys that wants to take over a church, and he forbid the church from helping visiting leaders, visiting, so this is a common thing among their church. So we see that with Phoebe. Now, here's what I want you to see. He's going to go now into some greeting. Okay, so let's talk here. I've only got three points to make from this long section, okay? Paul sends his greetings to many dear friends who are a part of the church in Rome. Now, remember I told you, Paul's never been to Rome, he's never been to this church, so a lot of them don't know him, but the interesting thing is, he does know some of them, and obviously from this list, must have been a pretty big church, because he knows a good number of people there, okay, so he wants to send greeting to them. Some dear friends. Here's what he says. He tells them, tells them to greet each other with a holy kiss. With a holy kiss. Now, let's just stop for a moment. What's he saying there? We just read over that. What are you getting at, George? What you going to make us do now? No, no, I'm not going to make you do anything. I want you to think. What's he getting at here? Yeah, Lori. Okay, greet one another warmly. Okay, all right. Anybody else want to add to what Lori's saying? Okay, to embrace. Do you think he's saying a physical kiss? Okay, Bruce says yes. Anybody else? Okay, now here's why we squirm at this one, because he's basically giving a command, but we're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, let me just stop for a moment. I think we need to look at things as to whether or not they're cultural issues or whether or not they're implicit for all of us, okay? And what we're looking at here is the principle is to greet everybody warmly, other believers warmly, but the issue of kissing, that's a cultural issue cultural issue. Another instance of this would be First Corinthians 11, whether or not a woman should wear a covering on her head. How many of you know some folks who go to a church where the females wear a doily on their head? Yeah, you guys know that? Okay. Now, what are you laughing at me saying doily? Uh, look, I've met some brethren women who said that they went into the house and they forgot and they just grabbed the doily off the table and threw it on their head. I mean, that's just... You're laughing at me, Maddie, okay? But those are all cultural issues. There's a greater principle. Look for the greater... Don't just excuse it away, because that's not culturally acceptable here. But look for the greater principle, because it's a cultural issue. Because today, let me just stop for a moment, there are cultures that still practice this. Right? Have you been to Russia? Have you seen the Russians? They kiss, guys kiss each other on the cheek in Russia. You would be like, hey, get away from me. You know what I'm saying? A shop. Yeah, a holy shove, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, it's a cult. Every culture has its own thing. In Paul's day, in the Greek culture of that day, all right, it was when you greeted somebody, you were to greet them with a kiss. It was a term of affection. Now, we're like, Ooh. We're so private. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the, the reality is, don't get hung up on the cultural issue. Look at what the principle is. And the principle is, we're to greet each other warmly. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're to, we're to greet each other warmly in Christ. That's the principle here. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's the principle. So, let's go on. Look now at the warning. Look with me at verse 17 through 20. Let's look here. Now, this is important. We're probably going to spend a few minutes here. Now, I urge you, let me just stop for a moment. That, those three words, do you think he wants us to take serious what he's about to say here? Now, I urge you, do you think he's wanting us to take serious that? Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine of which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you amen so he's going to give a warning here so here's the first one and I've labeled it identify troublemakers identify troublemakers Paul tells his readers to take note of those who cause problems within the church remember i told you we've talked i think we talked about this last week when we went through chapter 15 that one of the major things that is the theme throughout the new testament is is that the church be unified remember i told you that remember i told you that when jesus jesus gave his high priestly prayer in in uh John chapter seventeen, he prayed, "Lord, that they would be one, just as we are one." So he's talking about unity here. Now, let me just stop. As soon as I mention the unity issue, some people say, "Yeah, that's exactly what." But why are there so many denominations? Denominations have nothing to do about whether or not there's unity. Denominations exist because people have in different, different interpretations, not of the primary issues, but of the secondary issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why denominations exist. Denominations are not necessarily a bad thing, okay? Denominations are not necessarily a bad thing. That does not mean there's not unity. So, for instance, like here in our community, you know, three of my closest friends in this community are pastors of three other churches that we oftentimes will do things with. And we are unified in our desire to see the community come to Christ. Do you understand? And to see people walk in obedience to Jesus. We also recognize that not everybody's going to come to our individual church. And if they fit better at one of the other three churches, more power to them, right? We're unified, but, and there's a need for, for diversity. Do you understand? Because when you look at the four churches, we're all different, completely different. And the pastors are completely different. So what he's doing here is that he's saying, okay, that's the issue of unity. But what he's saying is, is when you, within your group that you fellowship with, if you see somebody, and this happens, I mean, I've been a believer 30 years. This happens. There, there will be people who will rise up and who will cause issues, right? Have you been around? You need to, here's what he says, you need to take note of them. You need to make, be aware of them, okay? Note those who are causing problems. Now, what do you think that means, note them? What do you think that means? Okay, you need to be aware. That, what, what to what extent do you need to be aware That is an issue, that's if you're disciplining them, that's in Matthew 18, okay, that's that's true Tracy, but here it's talking more of you need to be aware, you need to note those, so what I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what does note mean, what, okay, okay, you need to be cautious, you need to note, okay, so she's saying when she looks at note, note those, she's saying that I need to be cautious, I need to be aware, okay, anybody else, what do you think that means? Okay, don't let them deceive you. Anybody else got something else? Any thought here, when it says, note those. Is that an aggressive thing? Is that a passive thing? What does that mean? Okay, Bruce says it seems passive. Okay. Okay, take what they're saying with a grain of salt. Okay, anybody else? Don't even give me any fuel for the fire. Okay, now here's the thing. It's exactly what when I said is it aggressive or passive he's not talking about being aggressive here he's talking about being passive so what it is is okay remember i sometimes like to use illustrations from your everyday life and here's cuz you and i practice this in our everyday life he's saying practice it in the church you practice it in your everyday life what do you mean okay ever been to a family gathering reunion time and it's maybe cousin so-and-so, and they're acting like an idiot, and they're always doing dumb things, and, and you don't just say, oh, I can't believe they're acting that way. Nobody, I, nobody. you just kind of what? You just kind of note the way they're acting, right? You just kind of like, I need to stay away from that side of the pavilion, right? That you're noting you're acknowledging that there's some problems there, right? Okay. That's what he's talking about here. You're to take note of those who cause problems. You need Do you, you understand what I'm saying? You need to be aware is what he's talking about here. Let's go on. Problems in cute. Now, here's the problems he's talking about. It's not just causing divisions in the church. But he's also talking about another problem. Look at what he says there. Causing divisions and offenses. What's offenses? That's sin. Which is contrary to the doctrine you've learned and avoid them. So the problems include divisions within the church. So you want to, you want to be aware of somebody who's causing strife, who's causing, who's always causing some kind of a problem. And you want to also be aware of somebody who causes unscriptural offenses. Somebody who's leading somebody else into sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want to take note of that. Is that possible, George? Yes, it is possible. It's very possible. See, here's the thing. We want to welcome everybody into the church, but you also want to take note of people. You want to be cautious. You want to be aware. Because here's the thing, you have people that come at different levels. You have people who come and they're, it's sort of like circles, okay? You got an inner circle, you got more circle, and each circle is out. And and the level of commitment to that church decreases as you go out in, in the circles that go out. And the folks on the far end, you might have people who come who are living a sinful lifestyle. But they're seeking Jesus, and they're more than welcome. As you get closer, then that, you know, as you get to the inner circle, that's where people become members and so forth, all right? They make more of a commitment. They profess Christ and so forth. As they get closer, then, you know, there's more of a commitment, and and so you need to hold them to more of a standard. So, like, when I look at this passage, I'm not talking about that you need to take note of some guy who's coming on the fringe. You need to take note of those who are getting closer to the core of who the church is, and if they cause divisions, and if they're leading people into sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? If by their actions they're condoning people to do sin, you need to take note of that. Do you understand? What are you talking about, George? (laughs) Discipline should be involved at that point, yes. But when you're talking about somebody who's not a member, who's just visiting, and we have that happen here. People who are not living the life that is pleasing to Christ, we still accept them because we want them to, listen to me, we want them to hear what? The gospel. We want them to hear about Christ. We want them to hear about Jesus. But the closer they get in their commitment, you hold them accountable. Because here's the thing. It's just sort of like what, it's sort of like, I've, I've, to, I've shared this with you. This is my pet peeve today about the church. We're quick to condemn everybody outside of the church about the stuff they're doing, right? Would you say, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the church in general. We're quick to do that, right? Okay. How are unsaved people supposed to act? Like unsaved people. See, judgment, the scripture says, begins where? In the house of God. It's the people who profess to be Christians, who profess to be saved. They're the ones that we're supposed to judge. Did you understand what I'm saying? I can't expect unsaved people to act like saved people. Yeah, that's exactly right. Do you hear what Bruce said? It's not going to do them any good anyhow because their actions are not going to get them to heaven, right? How do we get to heaven? By Jesus, by grace alone. Do you understand? Getting them to... Okay, let me just ask you a question. How many of you had to jump through a whole lot of circles, a whole lot of hoops, do a whole lot of stuff before you got saved so that you could get saved? How many of you had to do that? Nobody raised their hand. How many of you got saved simply because of your faith alone? Not because of who you are and what you've done and haven't done, but because of your faith alone, right? How many of you are thankful for that? We are, right? Okay. Why do we expect people who are not part of the church to clean up their act first before they come to Christ? They gotta come to Christ. He cleans up their act. Did you understand what I'm saying? Okay, yes, Lori. Uh, or when they're 18, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, or when they're 40, almost 50, right? <laughs> okay. Here's, here's what I want you to see. When you look at this passage and it's saying, take note of those who are causing divisions, and offenses that are contrary to what you've learned in the apostle's doctrine. I want you to listen to me. He is not talking about people who are coming to the church who are not saved or who are immature in the faith. He's not talking about them. He's talking about people who profess to be Christians, who should know better, who aren't doing right. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the warning here. See, what happens is, is that what we do in church is Oh, well, that's brother so-and-so. He's been saved for 40 years, and oh, he's a deacon, and this, that, or another. And listen, yeah, he might be all of that, but he's ungodly. And, and somebody needs to call take note of that, that he's not acting right. Did you understand what I'm saying? See, position means nothing. It's where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. And if, the, and you need to take note of that, and, and what happens is, is, okay, Tracy mentioned this earlier, that's when Matthew 18 comes into it. That's when somebody needs to go to him and say, you know, hey, brother, John, I'm gonna pick on you, okay? All right? John, you know what? I'm concerned about what you're engaged in. You know, your attitude stinks with, you know, I love you, brother, and that's not the way. And if John doesn't respond well, I'm gonna take somebody else who's aware of it. You know, I'll take Bruce. Hey, John. Bruce and I were we're trying to get you to understand. And if he's like, you know what, man, I've been a deacon. I'm, 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 you know, and he just blows us off, then we bring it to the church. Then we discipline. Now, does that mean John has to leave the church? No. I want you to understand discipline. Sometimes this happens in our circle of churches. We excommunicate people. Tell them they can't come back anymore? No, no. John needs to be in a church, right? To hear the gospel. To hear so that he can change. But he also needs to be corrected. Maybe removed from leadership. Do you understand? Maybe even removed from membership. But he he needs to come so that he can hear. But the rest of us, we're going to know, hey, he's he's under discipline until he decides to get right. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? What he's saying makes no sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's a decision of, let me just stop for a moment. When we talk about a church discipline issue, whose decision is that? The church. That's exactly right, Bruce. Scripture talks about it, bring it to the church. It's the church's decision. I can't sit there and say, you know what, I don't like the way you part your hair. Get out of here. Do you know what I'm saying? That I've known pastors to do that, haven't you? Okay, that's not right. So we're to take note, those problems include this. Let's keep going on. They do not serve Jesus Christ, but their fulfillment of their own personal desires. You say, wait a minute, George, how do we know that there's something wrong with them? How do we know that it's just not ignorance? Here's what I want you to understand. Here is the key test when you're talking about dealing with people and where they're at, and especially with those who are causing divisions, And who are leading others into sin. You need to understand what is their motivation. And their motivation here is is they're not serving Jesus Christ. Although they may say that. But the reality is you realize real quick that what they're talking about serves their what? Own purposes. Their own desires. So let's stop for a moment. You know, I've been involved in church fights uh, you know in my last church been in churches that have had church fights some of you have come out of churches that have had church fights let's stop for a moment think back to those fights you say i don't want to think back that's a painful memory i want you to think back for a moment think about the key players and yeah the key players said it's because of this and we need to stand on this right but stop for a moment was it really Or was it really more of an issue of, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm fighting to make sure that my right is overtakes your wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? That it's more about what you want than what's better, best for the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, here's the thing. What motivates these kind of folks that Paul's telling us to take note of is they're not interested so much in Jesus as they are interested in their own what? Their own desires. Do you see what I'm saying here? This is what Paul's talking about here. So you got to take note of these kind of folks. Take note of them. When you talk about people who are self-serving, who are causing problems in a church, he says they deceive the simple and the immature with smooth and flattering speech. Here's what he says: They know how to talk to pe- they know how to talk people into following them. They know how to talk people and to follow them. Because here's the thing, not everybody is aware. Have you noticed that? We should all be aware. This is why Paul's giving this warning here. But the reality is not everybody's aware. And all it takes is just the right statement. In fact, if you can throw in a few Bible verses here and there, it will justify any position. In fact, here's the thing. A wonderful thing about the Bible is, And this is wrong, but the wonderful thing about the Bible is you can make it say anything you want it to say. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can support any position that you have. But you take things out of context to do that. So here's what he says about them. He states that they had a testimony of obedience to Christ. Here's what he says. Now, but you guys... He said, I want you to take note of these kind of folks, but I'm not talking about you as a whole group, because as a whole group, he says, you have a testimony of doing what's right. You have a testimony of being obedient to Jesus. So then, he says this. Here's their future hope. He points out that he was glad for them. He's glad for them. So here's their testimony. He's, he's glad that they have that type of testimony. Here, you know what? I can understand where Paul's coming from as pastor. I tell you what means more to me than anything. It's not telling me how great my sermon was. People go, oh, that was a great sermon, George. Yeah, you were sleeping the whole service. Wonderful. Okay. All right. That means nothing to me. What means more to me is watching your life change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Watching over time, and and notice I said over time. And when you've been somewhere almost 15 years now, you can see change in people's lives. It's watching God's word being taught in your life and you acting on it and changing you. That means more than anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when I appear before Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, man, that was a great 15 years' worth of sermons. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, hey, George, look at at the impact. That's what matters. And Paul was glad because they had a testimony of obedience to who? To Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Paul wants them to be wise now here's here's the further thing that you need to and I need to understand okay he wants them to be wise in what is good and simple and immature in what is evil so he wants them and see this is my this is what I want you to understand this is where I'm at don't just go by what George says to you don't go by just what any preacher says to you Go by what you read in the Bible and the Holy Spirit convinces you of. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why it's so important for you to read your Bible. It's not because, well, my preacher said this or I I was taught this. No, no, it's what the Holy Spirit taught you in the Scripture. Do you understand? So you need to be wise in what is good. You need to be aware. You know, here's the problem. The problem is, is we go through life in coast mode. Do you know what I'm saying? What I mean by coast mode on autopilot. It's going to be the same week this week, got to do the same things. And we're just on autopilot. You can't be on autopilot. You've got to be wise. Wise in what is good. And then notice something. Here's the thing you need to be simple and immature in what is evil. Now I like to say it this way that when you ever notice when people enter into a sin, they open themselves up to a new reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? When they enter into a sin... So, for instance, if you've never taken drugs and all of a sudden you take drugs, you've now opened yourself up to a what? A new reality. If you're never a drinker and all of a sudden you start drinking, you've opened yourself up to a new reality. If you've never engaged in sex and now you engage in it, you've opened yourself up to a new reality. If, you, if you've if you been married and and all of a sudden now you engage in adultery... You open yourself up to a new reality, and here's the problem with that: you can't go back. When you open yourself up to a new reality, you can't go back. Does everybody understand me? Am I am I cluing in here? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I, 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 we can, we know what we're talking about. Like, for instance, you get introduced to a new dish or a new restaurant. You open yourself up to a new reality of new food or whatever. And so, what you can't go, you got you want to keep going back. You can't go back to ignorance. This is what Paul's talking about here. He he wants us to be wise in what is good, but he wants you to be simple and immature in what is evil. What does he mean? He doesn't want you opening yourself up to new realities. He does not want you opening yourself up to new realities in life. Do you understand? So, here's, here's what the future hope is. Paul proclaims that God, that that the God of peace will crush and defeat Satan shortly. Now, here's the wonderful, how long do we, how long do we do this, George? How long are we we supposed to be aware? How long are we supposed to take note of these kind of people? Till Jesus comes back, and he will come back, and he will crush Satan, and the battle will be over. Now, Paul bestows a blessing of grace from Jesus Christ upon his readers. Now, there's one more section. Verse 21, he's going to give some additional greetings. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Zosipater. What a name. That's going to name, if I have another son, I'll name him that. My countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Erratus, the treasure of the city, greets you. And Quartus, our brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for the obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. All right, now let's look here. Just a few points here. First of all, he sends greetings from his fellow workers. We're not going to get into the list of those again, okay? He's sending greetings from his fellow workers. Tertus, who wrote the epistle for Paul, sent his greetings to the church at Rome now let me just stop for a moment does anybody remember what happened to Paul on the Damascus road what happened to Paul he was struck blind okay when then later when he went to Damascus one of the one of the brothers who was moved by Christ to come and pray for him and he did and the scales fell off his eyes scholars very clearly believe that Paul was never the same again Although he could see, he was never the same again as far as his sight. And those of you who, have, who wear glasses, who have eye issues, you understand what I'm talking about, right? And so Paul, what they're saying here is this. What they believe is, is that Paul, his eyesight was never really the same again. So when he wrote the epistles, you'll notice all the time that he used somebody else as a scribe to write what he was saying. So at the end of some of his epistles, he'll say, I write with my own hands and see what large letters I use. Okay, why is he using large letters? Because he can see what he wrote. Do you understand? So he used a scribe. And so the scribe here, Tertus, sends his greetings. Now Paul sends greetings from various other believers who are with him. So he sends greetings from various other believers who are with him. And then Paul bestows a blessing of grace again from Jesus Christ upon his readers. So again, he's going to bestow a blessing once again. And then verse 25 to 27 is what's known as a doxology. So Paul gives glory to God and to Jesus Christ for establishing them in the truth for obedience to the faith. So he gives glory to God for doing that. That, my friends, is romance.